0: John chapter 15, we're continuing our series on the one another commands. So I'm gonna read verses nine to 17 and then we're gonna pray and then we'll get into it together. This is Jesus speaking. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. One another. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, and we thank you that by your spirit, you can enlighten the eyes of our understanding. You can help us to know and understand what it is you need us to know and understand. Lord, I I pray that you would break through the natural hardness in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would transform us where we need to be transformed. I pray, Lord, that as we talk about how great your love is and how great it is, how good it is to grow in your love, Lord, that we would catch your vision for our lives and for our church family. Please, Father, would you meet us here this morning? We pray it in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says. It isn't COVID, I promise. If you read the New Testament, what you'll see is the idea of growing in love for one another is normal, it's expected, and it's encouraged. Let me give you just some quick examples from one and two Thessalonians. Paul writes, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. Again, he says, but we do not need to write to you about the importance of loving each other for God himself has taught you to love one another. (coughs) And in 2 Thessalonians, he says, the He says, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. Now we started this series last week and, uh, and we, we talked about this, this reality that God can't give us anything greater than himself. And so when God says, he, when, <coughs> when the great commandment is to love God first, That that has to be the priority because it's from us loving God in response to his love for us that out of that flows our love for one another. And this is something that we're going to revisit. This truth is something that's going to be revisited throughout this series. So if you're in a place where you're thinking, oh no, he's going to say the same thing all over again, let me tell you a story. There's a a legend about John the Apostle, St. John. They call him Old Camel Knees because he prayed so much. And there's a legend that when he was in the the last part of his life, he was getting really, really old, that they would kind of help him walk out before the congregation and wait for him. They'd say, Father John, give us us a message. And he'd say, love one another every single time. And legend has it that basically one time they said, Father John, and and don't think I'm Catholic now. This is just kind of what they would call him because he was an apostle. Uh, They say, Father John, please, uh, is there something else to say to us? Does God have something else to say to us? And legend has it, he said, when you learn to love one another, I will stop saying love one another. And that was not in legend and in the tenor of scripture and even in the tenor of John's gospel and in his epistles. That's not a word of condemnation. It's a word of direction that the fruits that God wants to produce in our life can be summed up in a four-letter word, L-O-V-E, love. That God wants to teach us to love him and to love one another. And so the theme that we brought out last week, in a sense, we're going to go kind of deeper into that and get a little bit more specific. And we'll, you'll, you'll find, I think, in following weeks how we get even more and more specific about what one-anothering is. Looks like. So we pick it up in chapter 15, verse 9. I'm going to give you two main things today, two ways that we learn to grow in love. The first thing is this. Part of growing in love means that we're learning to, listen, enjoy God's love like Jesus. So in the same way that Jesus always enjoyed the love of the Father, we're learning to enjoy God's love. How are we doing this? Here's the first way. We learn to enjoy God's love as an everlasting relationship. Verse 9 Jesus says, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, we we talked about last week, didn't we? That the the love that that Jesus, as God the Son, has experienced from God the Father is eternal. That's always been. And it always will be. There's no kind of degrees to that love. There's no sort of uh, hemming and hawing about that love. There's no kind of it's in one day, it's out the other. It's always existed because they have always existed. That God, our God who we worship, the three in one is love. And love has always been there. Which, which, this makes it really profound when Jesus says, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in that love. He's saying this eternal, this everlasting love is where you need to abide. Now, abide is an interesting word. John loves this word. The Apostle John uses this word abide 41 times in his gospel. 12 of those times just in chapter 15 alone. This word abide. It has this idea of remain. Some of your verses versions might say that. Remain or continue in or stay in. But it's it's, it's more than just something that we do conceptually. I like to say this is kind of like when he says abide, it's like he's saying be at home. We talk about our abode where we live. Be at home. In a very real sense, listen, when the command is to abide in my love from Jesus, he's saying, I want you to learn to be at home in the love of God. Now, over the years, Sarah and I have had many people live in our house besides our children. And we currently have Lydia, the intern, stays with us. And it's been interesting to watch her and others who live with us, watch how they learn to be at home. And, and I've, I've, I've observed a couple things. One is it often takes people longer, and especially if they're going to stay with you longer, it, they're slower to learn to be at home. That's one thing I've noticed. So when Lydia first started staying with us, she'd ask permission every time she wanted to take a shower. it okay if I take a shower. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> and now, after several months, she's kind of like, I'm jumping in. You get a bit more casual. But the other thing I've noticed is this. That being at home is, is less about what the environment is like and what the relationship is like with us. The vibe, you might say, that people get from us. Are they actually welcome? Do, they, do, they, do we want them there? Are we glad they live with us? Now, let's be honest. We're all sinners, right? Sarah and I are sinners. Lydia is a sinner. And sometimes things get a bit tense, even with guests. It happens the other day, she wanted to—I think she wanted to get in and take a shower—and I went to bed early. So there's a knock at the door, but our door was locked, so the dog doesn't push it in and jump in the bed and try to bug me. And so she knocks on the door, and and I woke me up, and I said, "Just a minute!" And so she's trying to open the door. I'm like, "Hold on!" <laughs> and she's like, uh, "Sorry." Even pastors get in the flesh. That's completely off topic, too. I don't know why I went there. But the <laughs> bottom line is, <laughs> but the bottom line is, is, when it comes to God and his love for us, when Jesus, Jesus enjoyed the Father's love, he was at home with the Father's love, and he says, listen, I've given you that love, and I want you to learn to be at home with that, to be comfortable with the fact that you are actually loved with an everlasting love. This is not just a New Testament principle either. It's an Old Testament. This is, this is part of God's commitment to us when he offers the covenant to his people. Listen, Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven 27 says, the eternal God is your refuge and his everlasting arms are under you. God is holding you up with this love. He wants you to, to know this is where you belong. But it's not just, he just doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just enjoy God's love as an everlasting relationship, he enjoyed God's love as a trust, as the, I should say, as the trustworthy authority. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 it says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We mentioned this first last week, but I want to kind of pull out of this, this, this importance of seeing there's no distinction between love and authority. In our current modern, late modern, Western culture, we see love as having to be separate from e- authority because love has to be about equality. We're all flat. There can't be love in hierarchy at the same time. But actually, it's just not true. Because what we know about God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is the Son is always deferred to the Father. They're equal in person, but he, the, the Son always defers to the Father especially we see this as Jesus, as God the Son takes on human flesh in Jesus and walks this earth. We see this, but we see, here's what we see about Jesus and the authority of God. First, we see that Jesus demonstrates the good and absolute sovereign authority of God. He demonstrates the authority of God. Mark's gospel is about that. Uh, listen to this, Mark chapter two. You guys know the story, I use this illustration all the time because it's a, it's a great one. <laughs> when Jesus is gonna heal the man that's, uh, lowered down the roof, the paralyzed man. And he says to the man, <coughs> first, your sins are forgiven, and people accuse him of blasphemy. What happens? It says, <coughs> Jesus says, I will prove to you that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. The reason this is important is because why we trust the authority of God, because let's be honest, we are slow to trust authority. Part of that's because we are naturally rebellious. You may not know that or like that, but that is true about you, it's true about me, we're naturally rebellious. It's obviously true about me, because you're thinking, yeah, because you're American, that's what you guys do. But no, it's it's, it's not just because I'm American, it's because I'm human. We're all naturally rebellious. But also, listen, we've also seen lots of bad authority in our lives, haven't we? And because we've seen lots of bad authority, sometimes the idea of authority is off-putting. But Jesus demonstrates to us, he he proves to us that the authority that he has, the authority that God has eternally, an authority that can never be overrun, can be resisted but never overrun, that authority, listen, is good. Because when Jesus is wanting to demonstrate his authority, he does so to say, I have the authority to what? Forgive sins. Yes, you've sinned against me, and yes, I want to forgive you. And to show that I do have the authority to to pronounce you forgiven, here's what I'm going to do. So Jesus demonstrates that trustworthy authority. But also, listen, Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to submit to that trustworthy authority. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was crucified, in fact, this scene that we're going to read in Matthew 26 happened just after what we read in John 15. It says, Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's sons, uh, two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Speaking of the cross there. Yet, notice what Jesus says. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. What's Jesus doing? He's submitting to the good and sovereign authority of his Father. We cannot enjoy God. We can't enjoy the God of the universe, the one who's created all things, the one who's taken on flesh and pierced history in Jesus. We cannot enjoy God unless we're willing to say, God, You know what you're doing, you're good, and I trust you. Now Jesus says these things, he tells us in verse 11. He's he's showing us that this is about enjoying God. It's learning to enjoy God's love the way Jesus did. Because We know this because of what he says in verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you, notice he says, that my joy, that's the joy he's always had with the Father, that my joy, listen, may be in you, and your joy may be full. See, God's calling us. The growth that Jesus wants to develop in us is us learning to enjoy the love of God as your your motivating joy. What motivates you? What future happiness or vision for a joy joyous, good life, what motivates you? Now, it's important that we understand right now because I I have to be honest here. I struggle talking about joy because I tend to, I have a a tendency towards depression. I I tend to kind of be a Debbie Downer if I'm honest. This is why God had me marry Sarah because she's like on high all the time. And and so sometimes I feel, I'll be honest, I feel condemned when I read or study about joy, and maybe some of you guys have a similar experience. And, and I, and I want to be clear here, because when the Scripture is talking about joy, it is talking about an experience, a powerful experience. But it's not talking about an experience that's based on our circumstances. It's not talking about an experience that we have 24-7 Because we just read, didn't we? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's open about the fact I'm in great grief. I'm I'm hurting. This is difficult. I don't want to go to the cross. But he is submitted to the Father's good authority and here's why. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this. It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And this is why, listen, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. When I'm talking about joy, when, when Jesus is saying, I'm saying this to you so your joy can be full, I want you to learn to enjoy God's love. I want you to learn to enjoy God as an everlasting relationship, as the one and only true, trustworthy authority, and as your motivating joy, even in the worst and darkest times of your life. I have to say, last night I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I I struggled with insomnia as well. I got a lot of problems, I gotta say. And I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was having a hard time falling back asleep. And then what happens to me? My mind starts spinning. And I'm trying to pray through this stuff. And I'm really going, Lord, how can I preach this? Because I have no joy right now. I am miserable and I hate when I wake up like this. I finally fell asleep at 5.30. Sorry, 5.15. The alarm goes off at 5.30. I get out of bed and I just start journaling. Because sometimes when I can't verbalize prayers, I just write them out. I just start journaling. And I'm being honest with God in my journal. I'm not going to tell you what I wrote because it's between me and God. And so I just wrote this stuff out. And I remembered that I needed to, to. It was Psalm on Sunday, and today's Psalm was Psalm 16, 16th of the month. Psalm 16. And I read Psalm 16 this morning, and I was so moved, so moved to joy. Because because of this future that's seen in the Psalms and because I know enough about the Bible to know that that Psalm connects to the resurrection of Jesus, the promise of his resurrection. And at the end of the Psalm, it says, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And even though I, I, I was exhausted, I still am tired, poor second service man, I'll be a zombie by second service, uh, even though that's the case, here's the reality. I could find joy, listen, motivating joy in the hope, in the truth, that one day joy will be 24-7. Now, this is important because this whole series is about loving one another. And part of us loving one another is learning to enjoy one another. But that only happens, listen, it only really happens in a, way that it, 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 in a way that Jesus wants it to happen, when it flows from this love that God has for us, this joy that God's promised to us, that's the only way it flows. We have to learn to enjoy God's love before, and here's the second main point, before we can learn to express God's love. The growth he wants is for us to learn to express God's love. But you know, before I get to that, before I get to that, one of the things that's important for us to understand, in fact, one of the reasons we're doing uh, a series within a series is because it's important for us to recognize that, that though we are here to practice one another, so we'll talk about some specifics about that today, we really do need this fellowship with God. So the second series, it should be a slide up there, it's called God Help Me. And we're going through the Psalms, or some, some of the Psalms. Four Psalms, four month. God Help Me. This is the series we're going to go through. God, help me delight in your word. God, help me pray, so on and so forth. Different brothers teaching different psalms. The reason we're teaching this is because we need to understand the nuts and bolts. And listen, listen. we need to learn to be consistent in the nuts and bolts if we want to enjoy the Lord. If you've had any relationship with anybody ever, you know if you wait too long to be intentional about that relationship, what happens to that relationship? It starts to Harden and get cold, and there's distance between you. There has to be an intentionality if you're gonna grow in relationship. There, it's no different with our relationship with the Lord. We're not earning a relationship with Him, we are pursuing what we've been given in Christ. We're learning to enjoy a relationship with Him. When Sarah and I go out on a date, we're not getting married again, we don't divorce every time we, we, we miss a date night. Duh. But when we have a date night, you know what we're doing? We're enjoying being married. It's something special about that relationship. So the God Help You series, or God Help Me series, is a series that's meant to, to help us to to develop or redevelop those kinds of disciplines, that kind of intentionality that helps us then to enjoy God so we can also learn to express his love. So let's talk about this in verses twelve to seventeen. We, you know, part of growing in God is learning, or growing in God's love, is learning to express God's love like Jesus—not just learning to enjoy like Jesus, but learning to express that love like Jesus. Verse twelve says, "This is my commandment," Jesus says, "that you love one another as I have loved you." In other words, when Jesus calls us, He commands us to love. Listen, He doesn't say just do the best you can. That is not the standard, and I'm so thankful it's not the standard because there's many times when many people in my life, if they would have loved me as the best they could, it would have been a slap across the face. But instead, they love me as Christ loved me, and I'm so thankful for that. This is the standard that he calls us to. Drop down to verse 17. He says, these things I command you. In other words, all these things that we're going to be talking about, breaking out here, These things I command you so that, notice, you will love one another. Now, we're kind of connecting back to that good authority. You see, this is not a love as the best option. This is love as a necessary direction. We cannot call ourselves Jesus, or Jesus, we cannot call ourselves Christians and not pursue this love. We have no right to call ourselves Christians if we're not going to learn to grow in this kind of love. None. That's not a condemning statement. It's it's just a fact. Just if you follow me, here's how I want you to follow me. I want you to grow in your love, uh, or I want you to grow in your understanding of God's love. I want you to enjoy it, and I want you to express it. And it, it looks like the way I loved you. Now, if you hear that and you feel a little bit, that's, I can't do that. That's beyond me. Good. You're supposed to understand that this is beyond you. Because guess what? Jesus didn't leave us orphans, did he? When he ascended to heaven, what did he do? He sent his Holy Spirit. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you believe he's died for you and he rose from the dead, guess what? God's Spirit dwells in you. And wants to come upon you and empower you to do what? Guess what? To love like Jesus. We're going to talk about this. We're going to see as we go on the series that there's a connection between us pursuing love and us moving in the gifts of the Spirit. There's a connection. But he calls us to this. Jesus both, listen, exemplifies and commands love. Do you know why people who call themselves Christians but they don't love? Because they think it's optional. Maybe not just love. Often people think, people who call themselves Christians think that obedience to God is optional. Why? I don't know. We justify, oh, well, God knows I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I don't really need to obey. No, we do. But we don't obey to earn a relationship. We obey from a relationship. We'll talk about that more in a second. Now, we're going to talk more about this idea of of the authority of God and how it impacts the authority of Christ and how it impacts how we treat one another in about seven weeks' time when we talk about forgiveness. (laughs) Look at verse 13. In verse 13, he says, greater love has (coughs) has no one than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. Here's what we see happening. Jesus gave up his rights that we might share, (coughs) excuse me, in his privileges. This is what happens when he laid down his life. We'll talk more about this when we get to uh, a study called the necessity of humility in three weeks' time. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Going back to this issue of obedience. Obedience does not establish our relationship. Listen, obedience does not establish your relationship with Jesus, but it's meant to characterize it. I have I, I can love my neighbor and I can love my children and I can love this church that God has called me to steward. I can love each of these groups of people with a a Christ-like love, but let's be honest, it's going to look a little different in each of those groups. I don't have the same kind of authority with my neighbor that I would have with my children, at least when they were younger. I I don't have the same sort of... uh, um, I don't always have (coughs) the same sort of closeness... With, my, with the church family as I do with my children, though we love to have that more. There, there's a reality that the, the, the person you're relating to sort of dictates how you love them. How do you love the Lord? You do what he says. <laughs> He's Lord. This is the idea. Again, we'll talk more about that as we move on. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus doesn't separate, listen, he doesn't separate the the propagating of truth, the, the spreading of truth. He doesn't separate that from relationship and neither should we. He doesn't do it because guess what? He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth in John 14, 6. This this idea of of the reality that that, that he doesn't separate these two, we're going to look at that when we talk about sharing truth effectively to each other, teaching one another, in about four weeks' time. Now, Now, here's the point, okay? Learning to express God's love like Jesus means, listen, we recognize that Jesus sacrificed to establish friendships, he sacrificed. He sacrificed to establish friendships. As we go through this series, I hope this becomes clear. It's not easy to love. It's not easy, but it's glorious. Now, as I said, we're going to look at a lot of things that are in those three verses in future studies. What I really want to do is look at this last verse and spend the last few minutes camping on the point. Verse 16 Jesus says you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now there's there's when he when Jesus says I chose you and you not chose me there's a lot of theological implication that's deep and profound and important connecting to, to somewhat to what Sammy read earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 but for our purposes today we're not going to get into that. What we're going to get into is something really kind of obvious, so obvious we probably don't even notice it, is that this, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm the one who initiated this relationship. I initiated this. This is important because we actually see that this idea of initiating relationship, we see this in these, again, overlooked commands, and they are commands, overlooked one or commands that I want to read some to you right now. Listen to these. See if you pick up a pattern. This is a test. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 1 Corinthians 16. The churches of Asia send your send you greetings. Aquila and and, and Priscilla or Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. 2 Corinthians 13. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. 1 Peter 5. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, let me be clear. The kissing part is cultural. We don't need no sloppy agape going on here, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm happy. Some some of the older ladies in church Pre-COVID, of course, used to give me a kiss on the cheek. I love it, absolutely loved it. I love a little squidge. I know people are paranoid about that now, but you know, there's affection's a good thing. But really, listen, uh, there is a cultural thing here going on as well. But what's not cultural? What's actually commanded is to greet one another. And the idea of this, listen, the idea of this is bigger than just hello. We do that with strangers. In fact, I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter sixteen. If you have one of our Bibles, it's on page uh, one thousand one hundred and twenty-nine. Romans sixteen, verse three. Three of the sixteen. I want to. I want to read you guys verses that again. This is the kind of stuff that when you come up to it for your devotional reading, you're kind of like, ah, I want to skip these. But first of all, if you're expecting a child, some good baby names here. But I want you to to, to kind of see what Paul's doing here as he ends maybe the most profound letter he ever wrote. In Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 3, what does he say? Notice, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their neck for my life, to whom I not only give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. (laughs) Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved I have no idea how to pronounce his name. Who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. These are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amp, however you say his name, I'm going to call him Amp. My beloved in the Lord, Greet Urbanus. Now that's a cool name, Urbanus, come on. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my beloved Stachis, greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Astrobulus. I don't know how you say his name either. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord uh, who are the, the, the family of Narcissus. A little bit narcissistic, that family. <laughs> greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. I think they might be twins. Greet the beloved Persis who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. I once had a puppy named Rufus. Not really important, but I wanted to share. Chosen in the Lord and also his mother who had been a mother to me as well. And then he he names others that I can't hardly pronounce as well. But I hope you get the point. He's saying, I want you to recognize these people for different reasons. What does Paul do? He's saying, Greet these people. I want you to know these people well because they're worthy to be known. And he's not trying to separate them from the congregation. He's trying to say, listen, don't just say hello, but move towards these people. Move towards these people. This is where loving one another starts. We move toward one another. I had had some bad news this week, found out that four students uh, who were part of servants for the last six months or so, three of whom we baptized, decided to go to another church. It was not bad news for them. They went to a great church, really happy of the church they landed at. If someone lands at a dodgy church, then I'm really grieved and I try to intersect. But they they landed in a good church, so I'm happy for them. It grieved me because it left. And you might not understand this, but as a, as a pastor, you always blame yourself when anybody leaves the church. Even if you know it's not true, that's just the way you feel. But it also grieved me because one of the, not the only reason, but one of the reasons they left was because they, they kind of felt like people don't really want to know students as servants. We had another brother in the church who had a home group this week shared that they were feeling a bit sad because they sat during tea and coffee last time and not a single person said hello, offered them to get them a tea or a coffee. They just sat there. And this person isn't actually able to get up and do that stuff for themselves. I'm not sharing this to condemn any of us. There's no perfect church, man. I've failed to love people too. What I'm saying is loving one another starts with us moving towards others. There's a lot of, a lot of you are really new. Some of you guys may be here for the first time. And I apologize that you have to hear that kind of stuff because I don't want to give us a bad rep because there's so many loving people here. We joke on the leadership team that one of the prerequisites is you have to live at Josh and Kitty's house because they've had so many people live in their house over the last couple of years. There's some, there's some lovely people in the church. I think about all the <coughs> extra hours that many of our home group leaders put in to just being available to people. So many people are generous in the church and you would never know it because they do it. They give with their right hand, not letting the left hand know what's happening. But sometimes, guys, we fail to move forward in the most important place to start. We don't just move towards people. Now, listen, I get it. I really do. It's really hard. And I think one of the things we felt in, in servants the last few, uh, maybe actually even before COVID, I think before COVID we were feeling this way, many of us were feeling like we're just, there's, there were so many visitors, you, people were getting almost like a visitor fatigue. That each week before COVID, we averaged about 170 people with kids. And each week, this place would be pretty full, and there's always new faces. And, and you kind of like, you meet a new person. You meet a new person. You start thinking like, oh, I, I'm kind of just tired. I want to try to talk to somebody I know. Or this is really humiliating, humiliating. You meet someone. Hey, is this your first time? No, I've been coming for six months. Folks, listen, this is not about condemnation, but it is about understanding what God calls us to do in loving one another. It's got to start somewhere. And this is why we stop for 20 to 30 minutes between worshiping in song and worshiping in the word to have tea and coffee and to greet one another. Now, I know some of you guys struggle to even kind of move out of your seat during that time. I get that too, I really do. I was sharing with a sister yesterday about this very issue that I said it might come to surprise you that I struggle in crowds. I struggle when I don't have a reason to be there. So like if I've been invited to speak, no problem, I can be social with everybody. If I'm leading a service, no problem, I can be social with everybody. If I just kind of go to an event, I'm like, where's the wall? I feel like I don't have a right to be there and nobody wants to talk to me. Now it's a lie, It's a life from the pit of hell, but it still is in my head. I get it. But listen, Christ came to transform us, that we might enjoy his love and express his love, and it starts by us greeting one another. Now, at this point, some of you guys are going, I think that's a bit, you know, you're making too much of that point. I don't know if it's really that important. I'm going to close with this verse. These verses from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 5, I think we read some of these last week. Where Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Listen, same context, next verse. And if you greet only your brothers or those who are the same education and economic class you are in, or those who are the same gender as you, the same stage of life, the same race, what more do you do than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect. Read different. Read like God by the power of the Spirit. How? You move towards people. Why? Because they're loved by God and because you're loved by God. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not even saying it's going to happen naturally. I'm saying, if we pray, God will do it. You know why I know this? Going back to to John 15. Because Jesus says, listen, in John 15, 16, you did not choose, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would abide, remain, be at home. This is a fruity place, people would say so that, notice, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he would give it to you. Don't think new Mercedes. Think, God, give me your love. Teach me to love the way you love. Help me move toward people who aren't like me. Teach me to be willing to do this. Because God, what people need more than anything is they need to see you. Amen. Father, we pray you'd forgive us for first and foremost, not believing that you do love us the way you've said you love us. Lord, when we call ourselves unlovable, when we say that you couldn't possibly love us when we doubt what you say. We're basically saying you're a liar. You don't love us. (laughs) Forgive us, Lord. How foolish and arrogant of us. You love us so much. And even when we do that, you still love us. Forgive us, Lord. And Father, forgive us that because of that, Lord, we tend to not love each other. or we're nice to people. We like people that are like us, but we don't love as we should forgive us. But Father, thank you that you've given us your word, that you've sent your only begotten son because you so love the world and that you're able by your Holy Spirit to grow us in love. We pray you would do this. Even now, Lord, as we go about our business, Lord, we pray you would do this. We would know we're loved and we would show that love by the power of the Spirit. Before we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Paul? Oh, thank you so much for remembering that. That's why this is why Paul is in the position he's in. Uh, yes, you can leave the chairs right where they are. Okay. We don't need to move the chairs, just take all your stuff with you when you go. Um, look on the back of the of the of the sheet for announcements. Adoration coming soon. Hope you guys all can be there. And if you're not in the house group, I hope you can get in that as well. All right. God bless. See you soon.